Ah, but you must have a Christmas uncomplicated by murder. We're talking Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Hit it. It was 1986. Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert taught us that there can only be one. Pleasant Rowland created the first American Girls doll. The Wave was first brought to worldwide attention during the 1986 FIFA World Cup, and Peter Salas starred in a BBC radio dramatization of one of Agatha Christie's most popular Hercule Poirot mysteries. I'm your host, Jerry D., with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. Now, before I introduce my guest, it's time for the 80s word of the day. As always, it comes from the Dictionary of 1980s Slang by Rick Carlisle. Today's word is funky fresh. Adjective, exciting, new, stylish, hip. Are you two run DMC, funky fresh, in the flesh, from Crush Groove, 1985. Use it all the time. Now, joining me is a totally rad Christmas all-star and ratty winner. From A Cozy Christmas and the Bookshelf Odyssey podcast, it's Art Kilmer. Art, how's it going? It is going well today. Um, I We had finally the the heat and humidity kind of snapped the last couple of days. So it's been about 60 degrees and raining and it's just been fall and I nice. loved it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait for that. Here, uh, when I stepped into my car, it was 93. Ooh. So... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was um last week or two. Yeah, it's been upper 80s, 90 and yeah, it it I can't I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, you know you're in Texas when you're you get a cold front and it drops to like 85 and you're excited. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> but how you doing, man? Like everything going well? Yeah, real real well. Um a lot of exciting things coming up on on my podcasts and um, I, I'm looking forward to the, these burr months now that we're in and really hoping that weather drops because I, I today I made some, uh, what are they called now? They're uh, the ooey gooey pumpkin butter cake thing. Oh, uh, is that Ke- like T- Todd Killian yeah. posted on it on Christmas clatter and he shared the recipe. So I made that today and uh, it was it was fun. Uh, you know, it was fun to eat. It was good to eat, but uh, it was fun. <laughs> you know, I, I had a. Um, my coffee with some pumpkin uh, spice creamer in it and uh, had the Christmas music going and got got to start some baking. So it's it's about that time of year where I get started on that. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I, I keep finding all sorts of recipes for desserts and pumpkin bread and like a triple chocolate pumpkin cake. And it's like, uh, I just keep sending them over to to tiff like hey what do you think about making this (laughs) but i definitely need that cooler weather for sure (laughs) yeah yeah my wife wants to make chili but she said it's got to get cooler than it's been we don't we don't want it in the summer weather (laughs) yeah same here it's just way too hot yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but uh tonight we're here to talk agatha christie and uh her famous detective hercule poirot i think i said that right i don't know hercule poirot 
<laughs> it's better for me. <laughs> But like, what's your experience with the uh, Poirot and in general and Agatha Christie? Yeah, um, I started reading Agatha Christie. I was um, a teenager, uh, and I, I believe I had uh, read Sherlock Holmes first. That was my kind of first introduction into the classic mystery detective. Right. Uh, and then I had heard of Agatha Christie and um, Poirot and all those she wrote, and I thought, well, there's she can't be as good as Conan Doyle, you know, that's, that's impossible. <laughs> but I, I read, um, so I started at the beginning, read the mysterious affair at styles. Styles, yeah. Thought, like, Oh, this is good. This is really good. I love this character. And uh, what I like about Poirot is he's a lot more likable than Sherlock Holmes is. And <laughs> uh, in my opinion, anyway, no, um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I, and I found this book that kind of, Told, it was a summary of all of her novels and and so you could like track which if you like this character here's all the novels they appear in that kind of thing um you know kids that was back before the internet would have told you all that information <laughs> that's right um, and I, I got really mad because as, as i was reading through it I, I quickly realized that this author did not hide spoilers so I had one of her novels spoiled for me. It was the uh, the murder of Roger Ackroyd, oh, one no. of her earlier ones, and I was so mad. So I haven't finished. I haven't ever finished that book. <laughs> I, I still have some of her books to finish reading, but um, but then you know I come across classics like uh, you know uh, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, which I that ending had not been spoiled for me, fortunately. So that's awesome. I got to read that book with going in with a blind eye and it was it just knocked my socks off. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so I, I started reading her, you know, as a teenager kind of dropped off a little bit and um, actually just been in the last couple of years. Um, really even in just this past year, I started picking her up again. Uh, there's a, a friend I met online. She has a, a YouTube channel and talks about books uh, kind of like I, I do in my spare time. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and she's a big, Poirot fan. She's a big Agatha Christie fan, and she kind of got me excited again for for Agatha Christie. So I've been kind of uh, picking up and reading some more uh, some more of her work and enjoying it. Right on, man. Right on. Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of similar. So I also had read like a, not all of them, but a few of the Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember I was in seventh or it might have been eighth grade, and it was one of those book fairs. You know, book fairs were like huge back oh, yeah. in the day. Yeah. And so I remember going and sure enough, it was, a, of course, reprints, but there was two books by Agatha Christie. One of them had like a reddish maroonish cover and it said Murder on the Orient Express. And the second one was uh, like a greenish cover and it said Dead Man's Folly. So I thought, I don't know what this is, but it sounds cool. So yeah. I'll I'll try it. So I picked them up. I think I read like 10 pages and I was like, oh, I'll get to it later. And, th and that was about it. Hmm. Cut to later on, um, I'm in high school and I have to do a book report on something. I don't even remember why. And I 
found those books and I thought, you know what? I need to read those. I bet they're kind of cool. And so I picked them up and I was actually um, really enthralled. I love, yeah, you're right. Something about the character of Poirot is just, uh, he is more likable than than uh, Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is just so detached and, you know, everything is so logical. He's almost like Spock in mm-hmm. a way, you know, <laughs> you know? That is the most illogical attitude. You know, he's human. So at the same time, it's like you don't feel that that uh, intrigue that you do with Spock, who's who's Vulcan and, you know, he right. comes from a whole different culture. Um, but Poirot is uh, he can be a little playful at sometimes and he can play little jokes and he tries his, right. you know, he there's times where, you know, he can't absolutely prove that the person did it. And so he has to, like, kind of create this whole scenario in order for them to, to you know, to, to kind of out themselves essentially right. uh and right. it's just he, he's i thought he was brilliant and i loved it and uh i am happy to say that i started finding figuring out her pattern and so it was a lot easier to guess uh who did it in some of those novels <laughs> i i haven't been able to yet oh yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well i think and for me i think uh when i read murder on the orient express as soon as like i realized that uh there was like three or four that all kind of kind of knew the deceased well, anyway, I was able to kind of guess who committed the murder. So, so, um, but I, yeah, it's like I started figuring out her pattern and started guessing more of them. No, I was not always a hundred percent because she actually was a pretty good at uh, the red herrings, which I really mm-hmm. loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another reason that I love her writing. But from there, in college, I remember I would, um, I would there was a half price books across the street from where I lived. So I would go over and I would just dig through the, the Agatha Christie novels. And, you know, they were all like 60 cents, 40 cents, you know, maybe the, I think the most expensive one I bought was like a dollar 50 or something. So Mm -hmm. I just, I picked them all up and I just, in my spare time started reading them and, and they were fantastic. And when I found out uh, that there were movies based off of them, uh, and we're going to be talking about a a show as well here. Mm -hmm. um, But when I found out about that, I, I raced to see them. And so I think the first one I saw was uh, Peter Ustinov, and it was um, Evil Under the Sun. So I saw that one uh, a couple of times and he had like a few others. And then from there, of course, I uh, saw the Albert Finney Murder on the Orient Express, which is one of my absolute favorite movies now. The score is just bombastic and it's like the whole glamour and romance of like the 30s. But then it can also, it just really draws you in with its creepiness.
And then I, I found this uh, David uh, Suchet's version. Uh, um, Agatha Christie's Poirot is what it's called. And it was just mm-hmm. phenomenal, you know. And he is exactly like the other ones are good, but he is he is Poirot. And, yeah. and no one else, whether it's John Malkovich in the ABC Murders or uh, Kenneth Branagh in, in the new ones, they're just no one can compare. He really embodies Poirot and for me he's the guy (laughs) yeah well it's it's fascinating because I haven't ever watched any of um, Agatha Christie's adaptations until uh, well until the Kenneth Branagh film came out Uh, that was the first time I think I've I think that was the first Poirot I even saw you know I was aware of the series but for whatever reason I never watched it as much as I enjoyed the books Mm -hmm. um I, I know there was a Sherlock Holmes series running at this about the same time with uh, Jeremy Brett. Uh, and I enjoyed that uh, probably more than the books even um, Yeah, just because I thought he did an excellent job as well. Uh, but for whatever reason, I never got around to watching David Suchet and until, uh, you know, preparing for this episode. And then I realized, Oh man, he is really good. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> blew me away. Yeah. He was really good. I was watching a video of him on YouTube. It was an interview on how he like, got into character. to do a mixture of French and Belgian, but I also need to speak English. So I listened to English-speaking Belgian radio, English-speaking French radio. Now, once I'd done that, I couldn't use my own voice. I mean, listen to my voice, it's down here. But Poirot is a head voice. So what I had to do was start with my voice down here think a little bit about french accent something like that and talking and then you have the guttural sounds of the flemish here coming and then you mix the flemish with the french and it sounds something like this a little like that but you raise your voice slightly and it goes to the chest and then it goes to the throat and then you put in the little belgian a little french up 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 and there you are you have hercule poirot Man, this guy is is really good because <laughs> he's so different. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. I mean, I was even noticing. Uh, I was uh, watching it uh, again today, and uh, you know, it just his his whole body language, even the way he, the way yeah. he walks, the way he holds himself, the the looks in his eye. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I think I was reading something. Uh, yeah, I was reading something about his process and. And, you know, when he, he got hired, he, he read all of Christie's work of Poirot just to, um, you know, to create this character. And then he, he's like, and then I have to become Poirot and just, yeah. you know, put himself in there. And I can see it just even in his his eyes that he's able to communicate that. It was amazing. So uh, so now I got a, I got a bunch of films I need to go see now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great series. Uh, of course, if you have BritBox, you can watch them all. Uh, we have BritBox through Amazon Prime, so we're able to watch them. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> he was saying that he almost uh, quit, like right before they even started, because the oh. title is Agatha Christie's Poirot, and so he was like, "If I'm gonna be this, like I have to be it." And so, like you said, he did all that study and that research, and 
they were going to change a few things here and there. He's like, no, I have to do it this way. I have to be her Poirot that she wrote in the novels. Otherwise, I'm out. And mm-hmm. so eventually they caved and let him, you know, really embody the character um, and not try to to change it at all, which I really love. Now, he is much better than Peter Salas, I got to say, who is another um, <laughs> another British performer. Uh, so Peter Salas was the voice of Poirot in the BBC Radio 4 adaptation of Hercule Poirot's Christmas uh, that was done in 1986. We present Peter Salas as Hercule Poirot in Hercule Poirot's Christmas by Agatha Christie. Dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell. The year is 1938. And uh, I'm, I'm only going to briefly talk about it. I really want to get into just the story in general, and then especially David Suchet's portrayal from 95, which even though that's outside my window, um, it's just so good. So I can't, yeah. I, I can't not enough. talk about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but... But yeah, Peter Salas, and and most people will know him as the voice of a Wallace from Wallace and Gromit, like all those. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. But his Poirot is not great. He, uh, and in fact, this that was the only one, even though the series went on to do quite a few of the adaptations for radio with, with full casts and everything, uh, he only did the one because he just wasn't comfortable doing an accent. And, and you can actually hear it. It's not, it's not fantastic. Uh, mm. You know, he does a, a good, he does a fine job, but it's just, it's not what you would imagine like a Belgian to actually sound like. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, no problem for, or, or no offense to him, but I, I'm definitely a David Sachet guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know if anyone who's ever said they liked anybody other than David Suchet. I, you know, I just, <laughs> right. you know, I can remember talking to either librarians or friends or people have seen it and like, yeah. Oh, there's nobody else here. This guy is the guy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll get into all that. Uh, I kind of want to jump, just jump straight into the story because right. it's just a fun story. And then at the end, I'll kind of tie up everything with a few tidbits here and there, but this is just, this one was fun. So, uh, she actually did a couple of, uh, Christmas ones. It's the novel Hercule Poirot's Christmas, which, uh, was first published in the U S as something completely different. I believe it was called uh, murder for Christmas. And then 10 years later when, or a few years later when they re-released it, it was called uh, a holiday for murder. I don't know why. And then eventually they released it with the original title. Uh, she also did a short story, which was the adventure of the Christmas pudding. Mm. And so that one, when they adapted it for um, for that series, that, that Agatha Christie's Poirot series, they actually titled it um, after its its other title, which is The Theft of the Royal Ruby. So that's mm. the one. Uh, so if, when you watch it, it's called The Theft of the Royal Ruby, but it's also a Christmas one. Okay. I'll yeah. have to yeah. keep an eye out for that. <laughs> but we're going to talk today, not about that one, but we're actually going to talk about Hercule Poirot's Christmas. For most people, Christmas is the time of year of peace and joy. Who is this murderer we keep hearing about? But that's for most people. There is a case against every person. And before he can finish opening up his presents, he was killed by his own flesh and blood. Inspector Hercule Poirot unwraps yet another murder case. You must find out who did this awful thing, Mr. Poirot. David Suchet stars in Hercule Poirot's Christmas. This one, uh, I remember reading. It was one of my favorites because, of course, like you, you know, we mm-hmm. love Christmas. <laughs> so yep. I, I I loved anything to do with Christmas and reading Poirot, who's like my favorite 
detective now. It uh, yeah, it was fan. It was just amazing. It was fantastic. So the the show starts off a little bit different than the book. In the show, we we get uh, we actually get to see uh, Simeon Lee, who we find out is uh, it's Simeon Lee as a character, and he kills his partner over uh, some diamond mines in uh, I believe South Africa. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his partner does wound him, and so um, he kind of manages to escape, and he's found by a. a lovely lady who takes care of him and of course they grow fond of each other and then after relations ensue then uh he splits <laughs> now the book actually yeah. i don't believe starts like that i believe the book just is mm. begins with uh simeon lee now aged wanting all his family to join him for christmas yeah i believe so um and uh simeon lee was um uh, boy you you feel like you're going to kill him if nobody else does, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, what a grump. It's like, he's like Scrooge without all the warmth, I guess, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of that same trope, you know, you get Ebenezer yeah. Scrooge, you, um, what's his name? Old Man Potter from mm -hmm. uh, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, he's just uh, that curmudgeonly older fellow. But but I think with Simeon Lee's case, he has just a much harsher, like crueler streak. Yeah. Like with, yeah. with, with Scrooge and at least to me, like with Scrooge and with Potter, you kind of feel more of like, like their greed kind of takes over them. But, but Simeon Lee actually feels like he's cruel just to be cruel. Mm -hmm. And, and the actor in the, um, in the, in the movie, uh, did a great job of making me hate him. I mean, <laughs> he was <laughs> maybe a little overacting, but still it was just, I, I just kind of realized, you know, this is, this is like the Scrooge character. And instead of redemption, he gets killed. And, <laughs> and I thought, this is great. Kind of turning the Christmas Carol on its head a little bit. A little bit. You're right. Yeah. It's like the ghost of Christmas future actually just lets him die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Or> yep. <something. laughs> yeah. No, it, uh, yeah, he's really just a really unlikable old man. But of course we find out he's very, very wealthy because of those diamonds that he found. As part of the, I, I found intriguing that uh, he actually shows like some uncut diamonds to his, uh, what he believes is his granddaughter. And, and she's like from Spain, uh, Pilar Estravados. And, uh, you know, she, she's like, they just look like rocks or pebbles or something. Uh, and so I, to me, I just found that really interesting that, of course, they would just look natural. Mm. We're used to them all shiny and polished and cut. And these are just uncut diamonds just kind of growing in the wild. Mm -hmm. I, I've got a friend who is a uh, uh, calls himself a rock hound. He he likes to, you know, collect the stones and precious gems and things like that. And uh, but yeah, he he's shown me some of his um, finds from you know out out in the nature. You know, like a um, I don't even know what half of them are, but you know, you know, like the the precious jewels thing or gems right. or rocks and whatever and it's like how do you even know this is worth anything and but then he shows you know when they're polished and cut and like here they are and I'm like, wow that's quite the difference and <laughs> so I, I i saw that i'm like yeah that looks about right <laughs> Just, <laughs> nice yeah yeah get the rock tumbler going yep yep <laughs> it, he's got one of those yeah yeah he'll spend hours doing that <laughs> So Simeon Lee, this is kind of classic Agatha Christie here, where she has like a wealthy person who kind of holds the strings of everyone and is in charge. 
and this person invites everybody to their house for a particular event. And in this case, it's for Christmas. And so all his sons are there. There's even some random folks there. So um, let's see, we get his son. I believe David Lee is one of them. Now in the show, they uh, David and his wife Hilda are actually written out of the show. And the son, Harry, his character is kind of combined with another fellow called Stephen Farr, who is supposed to be the the son of Simeon Lee's old deceased partner in the book from South Africa. Mm-hmm. In the show, they make it seem that he, of course, he killed his partner, so you know he wouldn't have it. So they, they merge that character together. And I get it. There's budget constraints. You know, you got to... You got to do what you got to do to to kind of slim trim down the selection a bit, but <laughs> but yeah, when you're when you're trying to uh, think about the the book and the movie so close together, I, I was the plot lines were getting kind of mixed up in my head. <laughs> they you know? were. I was like, yeah. Wait, wait. What, what is this? Was that in the book or was that a character or what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I think. And you know what? I think it might actually be easier for me just to think about it if uh if we just run down like the list of characters first <laughs> sure <laughs> there we go <laughs> Let's do because it. she always has so many characters and you're like wait what so of course we get hercule poirot he's the you know the de- famous detective uh we get simeon lee who's the the patriarch he's like we said very cruel i think at this point he's confined to like a wheelchair mm-hmm I want to see all my children around me, and I fancy that may mean a few unpleasant surprises for some of them. We get Alfred Lee, who's Simeon's uh, oldest son. He still lives with his father. He kind of does everything like uh, he's supposed to. And we get his wife, Lydia. And this is a new one, isn't it? What's it supposed to be? It's the Dead Sea, Alfred. Do you like it? It's rather arid, isn't it? Well, it's dead, after all. It's my contribution to our sentimental family Christmas. God knows why your father is insisting on dragging all these people down here. It'll only cause trouble. Why do you have to give in to him all the time? He expects to have his own way. Naturally, since he always has had it. The father expects to come first. He's very good to us, remember? You mean financially? Well, he never grudges us money. You can spend what you like on clothes and on this house, and the bills are paid without a murmur. Yes, and in return, he expects us to be his slaves. We have no lives of our own, no independence. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, Lydia. The old man is very fond of you. I'm not at all fond of him, and he knows perfectly well I don't like him. There's George Lee, who is uh, another one of Simeon's sons, uh, and we get George's wife, Magdalene. <laughs> what do you think, Magdalene, my dear? Oh, um, yeah. Now, let me see. Before George, uh, you lived with a retired naval officer, your uh, father, I think you said. Don't suppose you made much of Christmas then. It needs uh, a big family for that. Well... Yes, perhaps it does. Well, I don't want to talk about anything unpleasant at this time of year, but you know, George, I'm afraid I'll have to cut down your allowance a bit. My establishment's going to cost me a bit more in future. Oh, hey, look here, Father, you can't do that. Oh, but I can, George. Well, my expenses are very heavy already. As it is, I don't know how I make both ends meet. Well, let your wife do a bit. I'm sure she can work out some way to supplement your income. There's Hilda Lee and David Lee. So Hilda's David's wife. They're the ones that were cut out of the actual um, show. He's an artist. His father never quite approved of him. I've been looking for you everywhere, David. What are you doing all by yourself in here? This was her piano. It's frightfully cold in this room. That's her chair. The chair she always sat in. Just the same. Do come out of here, David. It's so cold. 
it's still perfectly tuned. What is that? I seem to know it. I haven't played it for years. It's one of Mendelssohn's songs without words. She used to play it. Oh, play some Mozart, do. No. This was a particular favorite of hers. We get Harry Lee, who's the prodigal son. And so while he never really approved of David and his art, he really disapproved of Harry. And so much so that Harry like ran away and hadn't really been seen for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just the same ugly old mansion still standing there. That's the main thing. So then we get uh, Pilar Estravados, or Pilar, I guess. She is the granddaughter and was the, the daughter of one of his deceased children. I am Pilar Estravados. Mm-hmm. We get Stephen Farr. <laughs> I know I know I've just listed a whole lot of names here, but uh, we get Stephen Farr, who is the son of uh, Simeon's former business partner. So you're a Farr's boy. Just a minute ago, I was thinking about him, remembering the old days. He told me you were partners out in Kimberley, and if I ever came over here, I was to look you up. Quite right, Mr. Farr. Good to see you. And then we get uh, a few other people like uh, the butler and then, uh, you know, the footman, stuff like that. And then we get Superintendent Sugden, who's the investigating officer. This afternoon at about five o'clock, I was rung up by Mr. Lee at Adelsfield Police Station. He seemed a bit odd over the phone. He asked me to come over and see him at 8 o'clock this evening, made a special point of the time. Moreover, he instructed me to say to the butler that I was collecting for the police orphanage. And we get Colonel Johnson, who's the chief constable at the time. He wanted some plausible pretext to get you into the house. That's right, sir. In the show, they replace Colonel Johnson with uh, Chief Inspector Jap from Scotland Yard, who's Mm -hmm. like a frequent collaborator of Poirot. So that's the cast of characters here, and you're all going to get them confused like we all did. (laughs) Yes. So uh, make your murder board out. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Write them all down. Rewind. Go back, you know, uh, one minute and just start writing all the names down. That's right. But yeah, this is a... There's quite a few characters. And again, that's something that always comes up in her writing. But Simeon Lee, he invites everyone to spend Christmas with him. And several of the uh, the wives don't trust him. They they think it's he's mm-hmm. cruel. It's probably some sort of sick joke. Some of the sons are saying to themselves, "No, it's you know he's getting older. He doesn't have much time left. Maybe he just wants. Every, he really does just want everyone together." And in the show, we get Poirot coming because Simeon Lee called him and invited him over. And Poirot, whose <laughs> whose uh, <laughs> heating unit had been down, he. Uh, decides to go so that he wouldn't have to spend Christmas in his own flat uh, (laughs) just cold. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, just a moment of honesty there. Yeah, I don't want to spend Christmas here cold, so why not? (laughs) But I I love the opening of the... um, of the show show it was very christmasy and yeah i thought the show did a good job of making it feel like christmas throughout um i think if i remember right i don't know if the book felt as christmasy right as the tv show did they were really able to not just visually but you know work in the christmas songs and the right. different scenes and things and i i thought 
this felt a lot more Christmassy than the book did. I, I completely agree because they could set it all up. Like you said, you not only have the sights, but you have the sounds of Christmas where in the book you're, it's basically just your imagination as you're reading the words. Uh, so yeah, no, you're right. It like a hundred percent felt and just more Christmassy than the book. But yeah, I, I did enjoy it because you're throughout the score. They did weave several mm-hmm. of those songs in mm-hmm. several carols. I can't remember exactly what he said uh, at the beginning, but um, Poirot tells uh, Inspector Jap that he's going to, how he's going to spend Christmas. You know, he's going to, I think he's going to be alone and maybe have some wine and chocolate or something like that. I can't remember exactly what he said, but (laughs) yeah, uh, it just sounded like a nice quiet Christmas Poirot's hoping to have. And (laughs) that sounds pretty nice. Yeah. Yep. And then his heater goes out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Ah. And, so they, they wrote that in because at the very end of the book, he and, and the colonel are, uh, you, you know, the chief constable are just sitting beside a fire. And the constable mentions something about, oh, there's nothing like a warm fire. And Poirot says, oh, I prefer the central heating. And so it's because <laughs> of that that they kind of created that little backstory of, well, that's why Poirot went to, <laughs> to Simeon Lee's house. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's got to be awkward, like to go to a complete stranger's house for Christmas, you know, all their whole mm-hmm. family's there. Their family's like arguing and quarreling and they don't like each other. And you're just kind of, just kind of <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever quite been in that position. I know I've been invited over to a place for like, I know there's, uh, I think when I was in college, um, uh, nearby uh, family connect anyway that they invited me over for thanksgiving dinner which Mm. i thought was really awkward but it was nice i'm glad they did yeah Um, but uh, they were just a friend of a friend's kind of deal and it was just really awkward though because i didn't know them and right didn't they spent all day watching football which is like (laughs) (laughs) stab me in the eye please yeah (laughs) and and i actually a friend like she was in the choir with me at the, at our church and I was going to be up there for Christmas, not for Christmas, for Easter. And so since I was all by myself, she invited me over. And so it was like their family and they had like their own special traditions and stuff. And I just felt pretty awkward. (laughs) 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 All right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) <laughs> but you know same thing i'm glad they did it uh yeah you know it, it was fun but it was yeah it was also odd yeah so, yeah well by by the next year i was dating aaron so i had a i had a first a first place to go ticket to, place to go yeah yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah so <laughs> awesome yeah, yeah and so you got to think poirot's got to just be super uncomfortable here while they're all arguing and and while this old mm. man is just belittling all of his uh, his sons and daughters-in-law i mean that's just mm-hmm. crazy yeah and that's that's where i really started noticing how much he was acting without even saying any words you know uh david Suchet, he just yeah the way he stood the look on his face you could tell he was infuriated by this man the way he was talking to them right but he also was trying to pay attention to see you know if he could try to figure out who would want to kill him right you know, well everyone <laughs> turns out <laughs> everyone has a pretty good motive here. well and, and i love i love poirot because he's so observant Mm-hmm. So like Sherlock Holmes, of course, is observant and then he just makes deductions and deductions and deductions. 
but like Poirot just kind of sits back and he remembers everything. So mm-hmm. every little thing he's like, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to clock that. And it just, it sticks in his mind. And I think that's part of what makes him such a great detective as well, you mm-hmm. know, using his little gray cells. Right. And typically, um, I always, uh, it's been a while since I've read any Sherlock Holmes, but I feel like um, Conan Doyle cheats a little bit with Holmes more. Right. You know, he'll he'll just show up and say, I've got it solved, and then tells the whole story of what happened. And you couldn't have guessed because you didn't see any of that happening. But right. with Christy, she tends to more show you everything. And then you could probably put it together based right. on what you're reading. Um, yeah, you're like, ah, did you get it? Did you get it? <laughs> <laughs> so... Halfway through the show, you know, I'm watching, you know, the, the just different short scenes of people like moving here and there and some of the backstory and stuff. I'm thinking because I, I couldn't even remember. <laughs> like, oh, wait, who, who is the murderer here from the book? I can't remember now. And, <laughs> nice. and, and I'm like, I feel like they're they're tricking me with something now. <laughs> I, I, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but you're right. She like actually lets you play along, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, uh, you're right. Conan Doyle didn't. uh he definitely didn't. <laughs> All of a sudden, Watson would be at the flat, you know, or, or at uh, his his place, and then Holmes would appear, and he's like, "Come with me. We have to go stop this. I know what it is." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but so no one's ever met Jennifer's daughter, and so you know the granddaughter Pilar before. So they're all very anxious to meet her, and then Stephen Farr shows up, and he's like, "Hey, you know." I just happened to be in the area on business, and my dad said if I was ever up here in London, uh, I should come, or not in London, but in England, I should come visit you. And so he's like, "Yeah, come on in, come on in." You know, your your dad and I were were good friends. I knew him well. You know, I'm sorry to hear that he passed. Which again is like completely different from the show, where uh, <laughs> in the show, <laughs> not only is the the character kind of merged with uh, with Harry, but uh, you know, he kills the dad. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so a little bit of different there yeah yeah but yeah and so uh because they were they were friends he invites him in he's like you got to stay with us for christmas you know don't don't do all this but as they're they're dining he he starts to he purposely invites them all up to his room he you know he's like i don't want anyone you know I want you all to come up at exactly this time. I have something to tell you. And so what he does is he actually calls his lawyer or solicitor, I suppose, at this time to come up to the house like in a day or two so that he can change his will. And he does that purposely like in front of everyone. And so they get all, of course, anxious and upset. And right away you're like, okay, this guy is definitely not here for the, uh, for the family coziness. Yeah. I thought it's not a cozy that... Christmas. No, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, pun I, intended. I, no, that's all right. Yeah. Thanks for the uh, free plug there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's like to do that and to make sure he's saying it right in front of them. That's, it's like you're asking for it now. Yeah. You know, you, you were worried somebody's trying to kill you, but now you're just asking for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, he, I mean, he starts to berate them when they, when they protest, uh, at least in the novel uh, and in the, in the BBC adaptation as well. Uh, I don't, in the show, he does it a little bit, not quite as much, but in, in the book, he really like lets them have it saying that, you know, none of you are like, you're all my sons, but none of you are men. And, and I'm ashamed of all of you. And the only one I like here that's worth anything is Pilar. 
forget it. I'm eating up here by myself for dinner. Like nobody bother me. I'll see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so they all go have dinner and it's like super awkward. <laughs> and and yes. it, yeah, it, yeah. again, I just feel so bad for Poirot because, you know, it's one of those when people start fighting and you don't know what to say and you're just kind of looking around well, like, oh, yeah, can yeah. I, <laughs> can I go? <laughs> you know, it's at this point too. Uh, did, did you see the movie Knives Out? Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was so good. And this is start. This kind of feels like that, you know, some of it. Um, so I, I know that's probably a, was a homage to stories like this. But right. Uh, then I just I'm like, yeah, wow, he he really got it. Did it? Did that movie well? Yeah. This, he did. This, you're right. And and there's yeah. a lot of Agatha Christie about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to the sequel. So. That'll... Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, that's yeah. gonna be. What is Can't it? Glass wait. onion, I think. Yeah, glass onion. I, I I'm don't know what that means. So. I don't either. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. <laughs> Find out. Yeah. It's probably some popular term. I have no idea. <laughs> right. Everyone's like, "Come on." <laughs> that's right. But so it's Christmas Eve, and you know everybody's. They've just finished dinner. Everybody's getting ready for bed, and then they hear like some crashing furniture and just like a hideous, like inhuman scream. Good God. What's the master doing? I've never heard anything oh, like Oh my it. God. What's happening up there? In here, come on, let me try it. No, no, is it locked? It's locked. Let me try it. Harder! Harder! Open the door! Let us in! You've got to break the door down. It's the only way. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Oh, come on. Oh, my God. The mills of God grind slowly. We'd have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him. And so they, they go and they, they rush to the room. They break open the door. And, of course, it's it's locked, so they have to pummel it down but uh they see all the like the desks and stuff overturned there's like so much blood everywhere and this is where we get uh kind of the theme of it where one of the wives says you know who would have thought the old man would have so much blood which is mm -hmm. like an allusion to Macbeth mm -hmm. and uh and so that becomes later on spoiler alert that becomes a clue mm. <laughs> <laughs> see I, I don't know. I don't know if I caught that as a reference to uh, to Macbeth. I, I don't know Shakespeare that well, but I, I kind of because I'm always connecting everything back to Christmas Carol. Um, you, you know, I, I kind of was thinking of him like like a Scrooge character, and so he's right. all withered and dried up and everything. But then they were surprised. Wow, he actually had a lot of blood in him. <laughs> <laughs> but that works too, I guess. If you want to go Shakespearean, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. No, I like yours so much better. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, it, it's everything comes back to Dickens. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, it should. <laughs> he yeah. wrote like the Christmas story after, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the nativity. You know, it's like <laughs> it's right. the nativity and then it's a Christmas carol and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, so like they they find him. They, they go in the room. There's so much blood everywhere. They found his throat has been slit, which... Uh, unfortunately, Agatha Christie, you know, she is she is of her time. And so mm -hmm. they're all, you know, well, that's a very un-English thing to do. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, so it must have been uh, the hot-tempered Spanish girl, you know, that we've never yeah. met. And, and there's a lot of that, which unfortunately pervades her work. But, you know, mm -hmm. if you read it as, as a product of its time, it, it actually 
makes sense. Mm -hmm. The local police superintendent, Sugden, is already knocking at the door. Apparently, uh, Simeon Lee had called him and had met with him a little bit. And then he left and came back immediately. And so this is when... Uh, when he came back, uh, he tells everyone that Simeon had called him because he suspected that some diamonds were going to be stolen. If they were returned or if it was who he thinks it was, then either it was done like as a joke or if it was this other person, then it was done, you know, maliciously. And it, mm -hmm. But it was probably just one of these two people. And he and said, super. he called the superintendent, said, come back so that, you know, in like 10 minutes after I meet so that or whatever it was this at this later hour so that we can figure out exactly who it was and I should be able to tell you by then. And so that that's like the story that Sugden tells. He notices Pilar picks something up from the floor. He makes her give it to him. And uh, it turns out it's like a, a little bit of rubber and like a, like a little small wooden peg. And th this is where I love Christie's work is because you're like, what is that? Yeah. You, you know, yeah. you have no idea. And and it and it just kind of consumed my brain. Like, what what is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, and and there's a lot of that all the time. Uh, there's that yeah. one. Um, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but where it turns out that the narrator is the actual murderer. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and that he... was that was the one I had spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> no, yeah, it's right. like yeah. the, the narrator is the murderer, and he purposely leaves out certain clues and everything and he's like just an unreliable uh narrator and it makes it so much harder to guess and uh, yeah you know but but like in that one he hid the the a phonograph like behind a chair somewhere and that's why he wanted to help with the investigation so he could immediately remove it and i mean there's like a whole a whole thing and mm -hmm. uh, this is another one of those weird clues like that you know where it's just this little piece of rubber and a wooden peg and you're like what in the world can a wooden peg go to and why would mm -hmm. there be this this rubber there so uh Sugden like I said he explains that he was there at the request of Simeon Lee that someone was going to steal all these uncut diamonds and that it could be this person could be someone else but come back and I'll have the solution for you well Colonel Johnson is called in because he's the chief constable of course and he's like Sugden's boss and so he convinces Poirot to investigate. Poirot is intrigued by it because he was hoping he could avoid murder, but it seems wherever he goes, murder follows, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he decides he's going to investigate as well. Like, how was the victim killed in this locked room? Like, that's one of the things that people don't get. Was it connected to this, you know, the diamonds? And like, what is that, uh, that little small triangular piece of rubber in the peg? You know, like, what does this all have to do with anything? So Poirot uh, immediately begins to investigate and he starts, like, talking to the people. And he starts to notice, like, all these different characteristics about their son and, like, where everyone was. So, you know, uh, was this person really playing the Dead March at that time? And I think this part is actually left out of the of the show. Mm -hmm. um, that becomes kind of vital in in the book itself. But, you know, uh, he interviews the butler who says that he could have sworn uh, when he let he let the son in and then he let the next son in. And then he said he felt like he had done it like several times before. And that becomes a point as well. 
And it's just all these little clues that kind of pepper the story. And you're just like, how does this all make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Cr- Chrissy, you overdid yourself this time. You're not going to be able to pull it off here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then she does, yeah. <laughs> and so we find out that uh, that one of the sons is very protective um, and defensive whenever it comes to talking about the mom and how saintly she was putting up with Simeon Lee and his uh, philandering ways. Mm-hmm. And so um, it kind of makes Poirot think, well, there has to be some illegitimate children as well as legitimate children. And so mm-hmm. that that tied in with uh, the butler's feeling of, you know, I've done this before, makes him think, Perhaps that Stephen Farr person is not quite what he says. And so it's Stephen Grant. He's related to this as well. He also makes a few notes here and there about some of the other people, especially because they read the will and it turns it, it leaves half of everything to Alfred, who basically is going to run the business. And the other half is just going to be split amongst the children. Pilar is completely left out in the cold. And so, um, we get the uh, one of the wives saying, no, no, we're going to give you some money. So this is actually very reminiscent, again, of Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, no, we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll give you this much money. It turns out Pilar like, is like, no, I can't do this anymore. And she's not really Pilar. She's actually a friend of Pilar's from Spain. And uh, she, uh, Pilar actually died in, like, I think a car crash or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she thought, wow, there's rich. There's a lot of money. Chance to go abroad. I think I'm going to mm-hmm. take it. So she actually literally just goes to, to spend time, you know, with them. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, so there's that that little plot point. It's hard to explain all this really because there's so many different yeah. threads that kind of uh, are their own thing and then eventually interweave. And I'm just not. Uh, I'm not a true crime person, so it's really hard right. for me to sit down and, and read all this, you know, <laughs> in a, right, in a, a right. good way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. It, it, I mean, and part of the thing I was struggling with with the with the series is, or with the, the the movie is that almost I kept getting all the actors mixed up as to who was playing <laughs> whom. They all look very they, similar. Yeah. They did. Okay, it wasn't just me. I was like, wait, who is that again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, uh, you know, now that I think about it, doing uh, a true crime pro- podcast, uh, summaries of Agatha Christie's books, that'd be pretty fun. That would so. be cool, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyone that does that, you now owe Art Kilmer some royalties for that. That's right, yep, yep. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be waiting. Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be waiting for his check. But his I, checks, actually, right. I think I think you're, uh, you're on to something there. They did all look similar, but I think that was on purpose because that mm. also becomes a very big plot point later mm-hmm. on. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So... Um, maybe there was reasoning behind that. Then it wasn't just bland casting, you know? right? I, and I think there, I, yeah. I think there probably was. Poirot ends up finding the diamonds just mixed in with the stones of like a little decorative garden, and uh, it's because you know it's something that Pilar said that they just looked like little rocks. So he went outside, and sure enough, uh, the diamonds were stolen, but they were kind of hidden in the rocks. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, huh? If they were just kind of thrown there. You know, they could either be hidden or it wasn't about the diamonds at all. And they just mm-hmm. kind of threw them there to, to make people 
that's as far as hiding places go that's terrible you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah how are you gonna get the right ones you know <laughs> right. uh, so yeah that's definitely uh thro- throws you off the the trail and I, I think it comes back to that, whether it was intentional or not i guess from but it, it's leading you to realize it's not about the diamonds and it wasn't about you know the the money even it, there's right. something else going on there yeah it's got right it's got to be something else and so the final clue comes when pilar's talking with uh poirot and uh and she and steven are actually i think playing uh, they're playing with balloons i think and then one of them mm. pops and she said oh that it's kind of like what i found on the floor and then all of a sudden it's like ah wait a minute that reminds me of something <laughs> he's like you know what just be on your guard watch out because i think you actually know more than you realize and yeah. um she actually is almost killed in a murder attempt as well where uh there's a stone cannonball that uh it was above her bedroom door and it like falls and she like just narrowly misses her head mm-hmm. so poirot's like okay something's wrong it's yeah. the, that general sense of danger that's going on <laughs> right well yeah it it especially if they were suspecting her and then somebody tries to kill her right you know then you realize oh it could be anyone i i don't remember what book this was in but i'm pretty sure it was a poirot story and he was talking about how murderers at least in his stories are often caught not because of the first person they kill but the second or third one they they kill yeah and and he talks about how they will kill to cover up their crime and sometimes it's watching their second or third victim that um helps them realize you know or or helps Poirot put the dots together a little bit better and figure it out well and that's very true crime as well so like even in real life you know generally Mm -hmm. it's it's the later crimes where they get more bold and more brazen and they Mm -hmm. um they're just not as careful as they were and because of that they are able to you know really catch the murderers mm-hmm. later on and unless it was unless you're in and then there were none um <laughs> well that's uh <laughs> like wait everyone's dead everyone dies yeah <laughs> <laughs> or did they okay well, no spoilers in that one either <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> they received like a a, a telegram or a cable or whatever from south africa saying that uh, the son of simeon's partner um Stephen Farr was actually dead. And this is where Stephen confesses that he's Stephen Grant. So this happens in the book, not in the show. And so he's actually there in England to meet his father. And it was from Simeon's last trip to South Africa, five years after he got married in England. And so he is a, a son of, so, he, <laughs> okay, this is kind of confusing here, mm-hmm. but he ends up being um, the son of Simeon Lee as well which is very interesting. And so Pilar actually, you know, like I said, she confesses that, that she's really not uh, Pilar. Uh, and so uh, Poirot starts to realize, ah, it's something that Pilar said about uh, look when she was staring at a painting of Simeon Lee and she was talking to um, Superintendent Sugden. And she was talking about Simeon Lee saying, you know, I bet when he was younger, he was very, very handsome, like you. And so Sugden's like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of playing it off like he's embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. But that offhand remark combined with everything else about the balloon and uh, Stephen Farr, well, Stephen Grant, I should say, is 
revelation that he was actually a son of Simeon. It uh, it makes Poirot realize that uh, that Superintendent Sugden, and I hate to spoil the book, but that's why we're here. So uh, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> in this case, uh, Superintendent Sugden was actually a son of Simeon Lee as well. And he was the one that did it all along. And so then he starts to go through it all. And so he came to meet his father. Turns out he was a horrible, horrible man who cared nothing at all for his mother. And so um, because of his feelings toward his mother, uh, he decided to avenge her in uh, uh, against Simeon Lee. And so he's the one that, that killed him. And so Poirot, in his usual fashion, and this is what I love about Poirot, is that he has to gather everyone together and he has to give like the grand speech, you know, yep. where he just runs down everything, every possible suspect. He goes through different scenarios and then he says how it really happened. So it's almost like Clue a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it, you had, you could have done this and you could have done this. And usually people are like, no, that's not right. I, I didn't do it like that. And then he's like, oh, no, no. Well, that's just how it could have happened. Here's what really happened. <laughs> <laughs> he's just guessing. That's what's happening. <laughs> but, but he has to be like... Uh, like he it's kind of grandstanding where he just he has this big uh, performance you mm-hmm. know it's like a like a bravura performance and so he goes through the possible scenarios and he talks about how Sugden did it and this is what happened so uh mm-hmm. as uh, Adrian Monk would say here's what happened yeah i was just thinking <laughs> that yeah <laughs> so Sugden uh went to visit him and uh, so he actually wasn't called, uh, but he went to visit him, discovered him to be horrible, but he already had this plan in mind. And so he slit his throat, poured the blood everywhere, and he made it possible so that he could come back uh, and make the big mess. And and so he, yeah. you know, he overturned everything. He he made the, you know, made it look like there was a struggle, which Poirot immediately saw through because Simeon Lee was a frail old man. There was no way he could have overturned all that stuff in a struggle, even if he was fighting for his life. It just doesn't add up. Right. And, you know, so, uh, and then he poured a bunch of like, I think it was pig's blood all over to kind of make it look like some sort of ritualistic sacrifice, you know, something, something more diabolic than it was. And he escaped through the window um, using some sort of clever locking mechanism <laughs> yeah he, he, he macgyvered something there that's yes. right <laughs> that's right he, he totally did <laughs> it's really would that really work i don't know <laughs> i don't know oh, well. but uh he, he, yeah so what the sound that they actually heard of him screaming even he even though simeon had already been killed earlier the sound that they heard of him screaming was uh actually uh it's like a child's toy it's almost like a little whoopee cushion. It's kind of a balloon type thing. And the wooden peg is like the stopper. And so he rigged it so that the stopper was attached to a string. And mm-hmm. uh, he pulls it. And uh, when he pulled it, it pulled the stopper out and it made the balloons air escape. And that's what caused that, as I said, almost inhuman sound. Which which the show did a great job. When I heard it, I'm like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> like, although, since you mentioned whoopee cushion, now I'm I'm trying to picture how that scene would have played out if he had used the whoopee cushion instead. <laughs> Whoa, what's going on in there? <laughs> Insert whoopee cushion sound here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my it, goodness, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he was able to 
escape, but of course it left a little bit of the peg and a little bit of the the piece of of rubber there. Um, and so that explains that. Of course, he was able to come back later and kind of secure the crime scene, essentially because, you know, uh, under the guise that, oh, Simeon called me and wanted me to return. When in fact, no such call was made. It was literally just him being at the scene so he could uh, make it seem as if, you know, something more diabolic happened and, and uh, suspicion would fall on one of the family members. All your life, Sugden, you've resented the wrong your father did you. I think you determined long ago to kill him. A police superintendent has a grand opportunity of committing a murder and getting away with it. What? You're mad! <laughs> I was outside the house when he was killed. No. You killed him before you left the house the first time. It was you who rang him up and spoke vaguely about an attempt at robbery. You came here and told him a tale about substituted diamonds. He opened his safe to show you the real diamonds were still in his possession. You cut his throat, holding your hand to his mouth so that he wouldn't cry out. Child's play to a man of your physique. But I heard the struggle. I heard him scream. Ah, it was all part of a carefully planned illusion. You piled up. Tables and chairs, lamps and glasses, and twined a very thin cord in and out between them. Then you passed the two ends of the cord out through the narrow slit at the bottom of the window and let them hang down the wall. You had with you a bottle of some freshly killed animal's blood to which you had added a quantity of sodium citrate. You sprinkled this about freely because... To satisfy some primitive instinct, you wanted the murder to look like a ritual sacrifice. So when we all sat down to dinner, father was already dead. Exactly. You hid the diamonds in Lydia's Dead Sea Garden. A little before 9.15, you returned, and going up to the wall, you pulled on the cord. That dislodged the furniture and the china, which fell with a crash. But yeah, in the end, he admits he he hated Simeon Lee for what he did to his mom. He, uh, he's taken out to prison. David, actually, the one that really was uh, really was defensive of the mom, he actually kind of was able to let it go. So that was almost like a Christmas miracle for him. He kind of has that catharsis that you know that purging that he needs to to let go of that anger. Um, Stephen Grant and Pilar, who it turns out her real name is uh, Conchita Lopez, by the way. Um, but they end up kind of getting together. Now in the show, that again, that storyline is given to Harry, um, Harry Lee. And so in the show, they they get together. Uh, in the book and in the radio adaptation, of course, it's it's the Stephen and, and Conchita. And they go to South Africa and they get married and uh, they have their own, you know, their own life. Mm-hmm. And Lydia, who's one of the the wives, says, "Don't worry. One day you'll you'll come back. We'll invite you to like a proper English Christmas here, <laughs> which sounds lovely, you know, yeah. in like one of those old manors uh, with the pudding and just all the decorations. Yeah, it it's yeah. What I, I, I wouldn't happened. turn that down. Yeah, right. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's try it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alfred and Lydia, they they decide they're going to sell the house because you know of the murder, and so he. Uh, he offers David, his brother, all of their mother's old furniture, since David was really devoted to her. At this point, because of his ability to just kind of let go of all that anger, David actually turns it down. So again, it's like a very nice, lovely, transformative 
Christmas moment. Everyone really mm-hmm. just kind of gets along now and uh, just because of everything that's happened, unfortunately. Yeah. So they all leave. They're kind of seri- uh, sorry to see, you know, everybody go. But uh, it ends with Poirot and uh, Colonel Johnson just, yeah, sitting, talking about everything. And and that's where Poirot mentions his central heating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Salas played Hercule Poirot in Hercule Poirot's Christmas by Agatha Christie. Dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell. Superintendent Sugden was Edward D'Souza, Colonel Johnson, Manning Wilson, and Simeon Lee, Cyril Luckham. Alfred, Richard Durden, Lydia, Rachel Gurney, George, Gordon Reed, Magdalene, Avril Clark, David, George Parsons, Hilda, Sheila Grant, and Harry, Nicky Henson. Stephen Farr, James Good, Pilla Estravados, Deborah Makepeace, Horbury the manservant, Stuart Organ, Willie the footman, David Goodland, and Priscillian the butler was Derek Guiler. The play was directed by Enid Williams. Yeah, uh, oh, I, I like the ending of the of the TV show where he opens the present from Inspector Jap and it's these gloves that you know he's like oh what is this <laughs> that he'll and never he wear yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll only wear them for church you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that was funny i loved it <laughs> yeah it's it was really good I, I i enjoyed everything about it and you're right like you can read it and and in your mind you can picture it all but uh when you're seeing it and um you hear the music and you're seeing the garland and the lights and everything up it's just it, it makes it so much more enjoyable Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. some things about agatha christie she of course uh, her first novel was uh, published in 1920 the mysterious affair of styles like you said and uh, she wrote the longest running play which i thought was really cool Mm -hmm. that was uh, the mousetrap as of 2018 so this is actually outdated information there were more than 27,500 different performances of the mousetrap which Mm. is just unbelievable she has done like i mean so she was nominated she was the very first uh winner actually of mystery writers of america's grand master award back in 1955 uh she also received excuse me the edgar award for witness for the prosecution uh which was a, another play of hers in 2013 she was voted best crime writer for the murder of roger Ackroyd, and that was re- uh, voted best crime novel by over 600 professional novelists uh crime novelists which is mm. uh, even even amazing that's uh by the crime writers association so she literally is like the queen of crime or the queen of murder if you will Mm. her character even though she kind of grew to despise writing the same character with all his little quirks and idiosyncrasies i think she created something and had more of an impact than she would ever know you know Mm -hmm. if you especially like you said you mentioned knives out really did it clue did it as mm-hmm. well, where everyone kind of came to Mr. Body uh, his and his manner. She's not here. I didn't do it! I mean, mm-hmm. like so many things have taken inspiration from Agatha Christie. And that it, uh, to me, it's, it's. Uh, I think she really is just like the queen of crime. Mm. And, and there's a, 
another mystery award named after her, you know, the Agatha Christie awards. Right. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how, where that ranks as far as importance, but I know that's a fairly popular one. Um, I believe um, uh, Louise Penny, one of my favorite current mystery writers. Um, mm-hmm. She's won quite a few of those. So nice. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> well, congratulations to her. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to check. I don't think I know those, so I'll definitely have to oh. check those out. Yeah, it's uh, she actually her uh, she writes about a, uh, a Canadian police officer. Uh, I don't know all the right terms offhand, but uh, it's the Three Pines Mystery Series, and so it, oh, a lot okay. of the mysteries take place in this cozy little village. Uh, but they're not cozy mysteries. I mean, some of the crimes right. can be pretty violent, um, but uh, but yeah, his the character is uh, Inspector Gamash and. He reminds me a lot of Poirot in some nice. ways. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's great, great series. Each book seems to be the better than the last one, and it's just a marvelous series. So, yeah, right on. She, she's currently re, uh, writing uh, that series right now. Good stuff. Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check that out for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna probably talk about it on one of my um, book podcasts episodes here coming up in I don't know November sometime. I think I'll probably talk about it, but. Uh, yeah, good series. Very good series. Cool. So Agatha Christie's Poirot actually ran from 1989 all the way to 2013. And it was, uh, it's just one of those where they literally covered every single Poirot novel and short story in that series. And uh, the very last one, of course, being Curtain, which is uh, the death of Poirot and his final mystery. I mean, they really wanted pe- people petitioned to have David Sachet as a uh, Poirot in the new uh, murder on the Orient Express that was coming out. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Kenneth Branagh decided he was going to do it himself and he does a, a fine job, but mm. he's just uh hashtag, not my Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> he made, made a brave choice on that mustache though. <laughs> he did. I, yes. Yes. <laughs> It's definitely much more Peter Ustinov than uh, than David Suchet. <laughs> I, I was I was looking at all the different actors that have played Poirot and and their mustache choices and yeah, uh, it, it's it's some look like they didn't even try, you know. <laughs> well, I think John Malkovich has like a goatee, doesn't he? Or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has a goatee, and it's like eh. yeah. There's another one that had just a must like just a regular mustache. Who was it? It was. Uh, um, oh, it was Alfred Molina. He played, I, I was just reading this today. He he played him in one, I think it was an American made oh, okay. for TV movie. And apparently it was set in modern times and everything. And Interesting. Uh, yeah, I hadn't ever heard of it, but he just uh, had a normal, even... normal mustache. And it's like, he didn't even try. Come on. <laughs> well, uh, and Albert Finney had a mustache. His was a little thinner. Uh, yeah. Whereas um, David Suchet is kind of, really curls up at the end his a little bit thicker there but it's also shorter and mm-hmm. which i kind of liked and again i love that 70s uh murder on the orient express uh i albert finney does a great job but i just can't help think how much better it would have been with that cast if david Suchet had done it uh, mm-hmm. to me he just embodies everything about uh, poirot but yeah they did it ran for 13 series it had um all 70 episodes so all 70 of her uh, of her uh, novels and, and short stories there. So Hercule Poirot is, uh, I mean, to me, he's just like the quintessential 
really he's like the quintessential detective at this point, even more than Sherlock Holmes, because he does everything with his little gray cells. But it does make me wonder, you know, uh, if you had to use your little gray cells to think about what your hap hap happiest memory would be, what do you think it would be? Yeah, you know, good good question. I don't know. It's probably it's just the the time spent reading her mysteries and getting so engaged in them that you know you're thinking is it this person or is it that person or i think at one point i i can even, i can't remember what book i was reading i'm like i probably did it i don't even know who did it here <laughs> you know? it's like I, can't, I can't remember or i don't know and but i i love and this is what i love about mysteries you know it's the puzzle and you're trying to piece it together and then right. when it all comes together in a satisfying way yes it just it's like oh all right you you've you've completed it for me thank you um, <laughs> And I and I love that um, about about her writing, and I love that you know she you legitimately legitimately could be any of the characters in the story. You know, right? She she has enough red herrings and, and suspicions and people just acting weird that you wonder, okay, well, were they doing something and all that? And I I just I loved it, and it gave me a lot of fun um, times of reading when I was younger, and um, it's been really fun to. Um, go back to that now and and, and there's still um quite a few uh poirot novels i haven't read and i haven't read any miss marple at all and i know there's some right. standalone novels of hers too i still need to get to so um it's been fun revisiting some of my favorites and then finding some new ones uh to to start reading again or start reading so yeah i just just the time spent in the books have always been enjoyable yeah yeah and and uh same thing i would like I said, I would go just across the street. I'd go buy some, come home, and I'd just start reading them. And I'll never forget um, reading one of them. And, and this isn't the solution, so I can say it. But I was, because uh, I used to play tennis, and I think it was like the tennis instructor, like the, the physical fitness instructor that ends up getting murdered in the mm -hmm. book. And I just remember, uh, for some reason, I was it was dark. And I had like the one lamp on in my room in college just reading this book. And I remember turning off the lamp and turning on the uh, Christmas lights that I had all around the ceiling of my room and mm -hmm. just finishing up that story. And I was only like, I don't know, maybe 30 pages into it or maybe 40 pages. And I just had to finish the whole thing. Like I couldn't go to sleep because I wanted to know what happened, who did this particular mm -hmm. one. So I just remember being so engaging. And I remember being heartbroken uh, when Poirot finally dies in Curtain. Yeah. But uh, the happiest would be definitely just scrounging through the books, looking, see, okay, do I have that one? Okay, do I have that one? Nope. You know, and and uh, coming back and, and just going back to my room and, and reading them and just diving in. Mm. Uh, that Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I had a similar experience while reading um, Murder on the Orient Express and then also, and, and then there were none, you know. Oh, yeah. That one's just a classic story where you, you get invited to the, you know, the, to the manor and, and then people start dying and dying and dying and, and it's getting tense and more and more tense. Like, well, who's doing it? And then, yeah, then that re that revelation was like, oh, man, Christy, you, <laughs> you stinker. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. But, yeah, it's I, I like being tricked like that. I, it, yeah. You know, I. I know some people try to figure it out and sometimes I do, but I mostly am just along for the ride, like. That's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I do too. It's so much fun just to try to guess. Um, and I do remember 
as like a I guess a runner up favorite, but there was a in the seventies, uh Neil Simon wrote Murder by Death. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Basically kind of a spoof of a bunch of different murder uh mystery characters. Mm-hmm. So they have uh Sam Diamond instead of Sam Spade. They have um uh I think it's Charlie Wang instead of uh Charlie Chan. You know, it's like a, a bunch of Dick and Dora instead of Nick and Nora Charles, you know. And so mm-hmm. one of them is uh, is Akil. So instead of her, uh, like Hercules, it's Achilles. Mm. Akil Perrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Twain, we have been here nearly four hours and there has not been a hint of a hot dinner or a cold cops. I must therefore bid you adieu. Played by uh, James Coco. And yeah, it was just it was very fun. If you haven't seen the movie you should it's just a fun little spoof of a, a bunch of favorite mystery writers yeah i, I remember I, I know i've seen it uh, it, uh but it, it's been decades <laughs> i probably I saw it back in the 90s yeah but i remember that yeah yeah <laughs> it's just so... Oh, man. But uh, now we come to my favorite part of the show, which is a little bit I like to call gag me with a spoon. So this is where we do our best impression of our least favorite part of the uh, you can do the show. You can pick something from the book or you can do anything from the BBC radio adaptation. They're all fairly similar anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, just kind of set up the scene for us and we'll go from there. Uh, I'm going to pick from the show. Now, uh, if I believe it was um, Henry who hooks up with um oh, what's her name now um P- pilar right or whatever her real name is conchita yeah conchita yeah it was yeah. Harry, yeah harry yeah <laughs> harry yeah and so at the beginning of the movie he meets her on the train and he's kind of flirting with her you know right. and then it turns out he, oh well, you're my niece i guess and then later <laughs> like halfway through he makes his line about saying something about um she's allegedly my niece or whatever. And I'm like, okay, this is getting creepy. And then for me, the, the worst part is, is this quote here at the end uh, when he, she reveals who she really is. And he says, so I'm not your uncle anymore. Eh? <laughs> it's just so <laughs> creepy and cringy. And I'm like, Oh no. As in now you can, it. now you can date me. <laughs> yeah. Like, ah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Run away. I actually picked one, and that's good. I actually picked one from uh, all three. It's it's in all three adaptations here. The the BBC version is probably the worst of it, but the line actually appears in all of them. But this is when Poirot and Sugden are talking. So Poirot is talking about how handsome that uh, Sugden is. Like this is right mm-hmm. after she said that he's you know handsome and Poirot's kind of teasing him about it and he's talking about his mustache and he says um it is true that your mustache is superb tell me do you use for it a special pomade and it's pomade good lord no what do you use use nothing at all it just it just grows <laughs> i was like <laughs> ah that's okay whatever that's bad <laughs> it just grows uh-huh <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> well, that was a good a good Poirot anyway. That well, it's, uh, I'm, <laughs> Spanish or Hispanic I can do. French I'm terrible at. And my apologies to uh, CJ, all of our French-Canadian listeners, and uh, all those <laughs> that listen from Belgium and France. I, I my, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, it, uh, you know, I do got to know. Uh, so G.I. Joe taught us that knowing is half the battle. What do you think the other half is? 
Um, being kind to your family or else they'll kill you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a word of advice. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're the patriarch and you have lots of money. That's right. <laughs> Be nice to them, please. Even if yep. they're disappointments. <laughs> well, that's better than mine. Um, so mine is, uh, if no one's half to battle, the other half is just using your little gray cells. Mm, yep. There you go. <laughs> oh man, Art, this has been so much fun. But uh, you know, tell Absolutely. me about your tell me about your different shows, man. What do you want to plug? Yeah. Um, well, I like you mentioned at the beginning, I, I've been doing a book podcast and YouTube channel. I've been kind of playing around with um like a video podcast with that and nice. as well as little videos. Um just um talking to the bookish community on on YouTube. There there's a nice group there. And oh, cool. Um, I've, I've met a lot of really neat people who love books as much as I do. Some even probably more than I do, which <laughs> is hard, to, hard to believe. Um, found a lot of friends who like Dickens and just things like that. So it's been, it's been a blast just doing that. Uh, and then, um, I've got a lot of author interviews lined up, uh, here over the, for the rest of the year on, on that podcast, uh, just talking to them about their books, their lives, how they got to be authors and writers and kind of where they want to go, uh, with that. Um, for my uh, Christmas podcast, my, my, my baby, as it were, uh, <laughs> 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 uh I, I just in, enjoyed it so much. We're going to, uh, got some stories I'll be reading some guests lined up to, to have on a couple of, uh, things that are coming out on uh september first of all on september 12th so uh, this is not quite an exclusive um uh, but uh, <laughs> you're the first one i've actually told so oh nice yeah uh, i'm excited uh, i, I but, saw your, um, your tease there yeah on yeah, social yeah. Media and i was like ooh, what is it <laughs> um well i i've had a guest on who who runs the uh the village collector.com okay. which is all about christmas villages uh his yeah. name's bill really great guy uh, but he he asked me to start writing a blog for his website, a, a Christmas blog. Um, so it's going to be called The Christmas Corner, and you can find it at thevillagecollector.com. Um, and it won't necessarily be about Christmas villages, but it'll just be about all things Christmas. Right uh, on. Kind of a spinoff of my podcast. So um, so I'm really excited about that. And he's he's such a great guy. Um, I love having him on. He'll he'll just talk your ear off. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and then... Um, on the 21st of September, so a couple days yet from when this comes out, um, I'll be doing a live stream with Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter uh, on YouTube. So, I'll, and that's at uh, 8 p.m. Central uh, Central Time. Uh, so we're gonna, I'm gonna be on his show. It'll be first time I'm live, uh, which is probably a little nerve wracking, but we'll, <laughs> we're gonna try it out. So, <laughs> no, it'll be great, man. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we're gonna talk. Uh, well, maybe I, I don't know how much he wants out, but we'll, we'll talk about my special specialties, I guess. Uh, we'll we'll talk about some a book and maybe a movie or something. Uh, we're, cool. We've got lined up, so yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, um, that sounds awesome, man. So everyone, uh, clear your calendars for that Wednesday night. Um, it, it'll be Christmas uh, content you don't want to miss. So <laughs> heck yeah. Yeah, definitely, guys, go check it out and make sure you listen to uh, A Cozy Christmas. It gives you all the warm fuzzies and Christmas feels. And definitely check out A Bookshelf Odyssey because, again, same thing. It's just so much fun. It's like you're diving in with a you know a good book and a close friend. It's like your mm -hmm. own little version of a book club almost. It's kind of <laughs> kind of become that way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, there's there's not really any book clubs around where I'm at, so I, I thought I'd just 
join one online and here here i am <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> oh man art again it's been uh it's been really nice talking with you and and Always. just really revisiting all these uh memories that i had that i'd kind of forgotten about agatha christie and and uh yeah mm-hmm. it was it was a lot of fun so thank you for that oh thank you for the invitation and uh we'll we'll do it again Right on. I hope so. And on that note, I'm going to end it by saying there is at Christmas time a great deal of hypocrisy, honorable hypocrisy, hypocrisy undertaken pour le bon motif, c'est entendu, but nevertheless, hypocrisy. So check us out on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram at Totally Rad Christmas, Twitter at Rad Christmas, or our Facebook group, Totally Rad Christmas Mall and Arcade, where you can make your voice known to us as well. We post anything and everything 80s or Christmas related. And if you're feeling like Poirot solving the case, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us reach more people and spread some rad holiday cheer. Now, don't forget to check out our merch shop on tpublic.com and our super dope website, totallyradchristmas.com, courtesy of Tis the Podcast Elf, Tom Crow. Happy Christmas. Later, dudes. Ding dong, merrily a bride. In heaven the bells are ringing. Ding dong, merrily the sky. Is ring with angels singing. Oh, 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 to rescue you, my enemy.